And let's open our Bibles together to the book of Romans, chapter 10. Romans, chapter 10. And I'm going to read and preach verses 18 through 21 this morning, finishing up the chapter. The Apostle Paul is writing in these verses about his fellow Jews, about the fact that they have heard the gospel, but they haven't believed the gospel. At least the majority of them hadn't believed the gospel they'd heard, despite the fact that many of the Gentiles were hearing and believing the gospel. His fellow Jews had heard, but they hadn't believed. They'd been given the medicine, but they refused to take it, even though they saw others taking it and being healed. They were, as it says in our passage, a disobedient and contrary people. Now, of course, that's not a Jewish problem. That's a human problem. We are, all of us, by sinful nature, a disobedient and contrary people toward our creator and king. And that's a heart condition only God can heal us from, only the gospel can cure us of. But even though it's a universal human problem, Paul here is describing his fellow Jews. He's describing Israel, God's old covenant people, who should have known better They had many covenant blessings. They had many covenant privileges. And yet in the face of those, they were disobedient and contrary. They'd heard the gospel, but they hadn't believed the gospel. And as we look at these verses together this morning, we want to make sure that's not the case with us. We want to make sure that we have believed the gospel, that we have taken the medicine. And if we have, all the credit for that goes to God. Since, as our passage says, he has been found by those who did not seek for him. He has shown himself to those who did not ask for him. That's us, who have heard the gospel and have believed the gospel. Not because we're better than those who haven't, but because God in his mercy took our disobedient and contrary hearts and changed them and renewed them softened them so that we could come to him, to his outstretched hands and receive the free gift of salvation and eternal life. Well, let's pray and ask the Lord's blessing on our time in his word and then we'll give our attention together to the reading and the preaching of it. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for opening our eyes and for opening our hearts to hear the truth of the gospel and to respond to it in repentance and faith for salvation. As we give our attention to these verses together this morning, please help us to see ourselves in them. Help us to see you in them. And please use your word to change us, to sanctify us, make us less like our sinful selves and more like our sinless Savior. We pray in his name, amen. Amen. Romans 10, I'll start reading at verse 16 for a bit of context. And again, our focus will be on verses 18 through 21. This is the inspired, inerrant, and infallible word of God. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing, 
and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. As you can see in your sermon notes there, there's a very simple and straightforward structure to the sermon this morning. Point one, Israel has heard, that's Paul's point in verse 18, and point two, Israel has not believed, that's his point in verses 19 through 21, and we'll take those in turn. Paul has just said back up in verse 16 about his fellow Jews, but they have not all obeyed the gospel, for Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? In other words, they've heard the gospel, but they haven't believed the gospel. Then in verse 17, he says, so faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. In other words, hearing is essential to faith. In order to believe the gospel, you have to hear the gospel. And that prompts him to affirm again that his fellow Jews have indeed heard the gospel. But I ask, have they not heard? Indeed, they have. So that's the flow of thought there. Then as proof of the fact that Israel has heard the gospel, he quotes Psalm 19, verse 4. Indeed, they have for their voice, meaning the voice of the heavens mentioned in Psalm 19, verse 1, their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. Psalm 19, you may recall, at least the first part, is about creation or what we call general revelation and the fact that creation proclaims the glory of God like a painting proclaims the skill of its painter and creation proclaims the glory of God to all of creation and what Paul appears to be doing here in Romans 10 is he appears to be saying that much like general revelation goes out to all the earth special revelation has now gone out to all the earth Much like the voice of the heavens spreads to the ends of the world, the voice of the gospel has now spread to the ends of the world. The message of salvation is no longer just for the Jews or mainly for the Jews. It's now for the whole world and is being proclaimed throughout the whole world. As Paul himself said in Colossians 1, verse 6, the gospel which has come to you as indeed in the whole world it is bearing fruit and increasing. In verse 23 of that same chapter, the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven. Now, of course, there's a bit of hyperbole here because Paul is well aware of the fact that the gospel hadn't literally gone to the ends of the world because at that time, and even in our time, 2,000 years later, there are still people who haven't been reached with the message of the gospel. 
But in general, he's saying that the message is no longer confined to the Jews. It has now been released to the nations. And Paul's logic is this. If it's gone to the ends of the earth, then the Jews have certainly heard it. Kind of like if somebody was walking past our building on a Sunday morning or a Sunday evening and they heard our singing. They heard our voices singing out in praise to God. Well, if they could hear our singing, then certainly all of us who are in the sanctuary can hear our singing. If all the earth had heard the gospel, then certainly the Jews have heard the gospel, is Paul's point. If the gospel has gone out from Jerusalem to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, then certainly it's been heard in Jerusalem where it all got started. And that is Paul's point in verse 18 here when he says, but I ask, have they not heard? Indeed they have, for their voice has gone out to all the earth and their words to the ends of the world. And yet I think it's important for us to recognize by way of application here Remembering that Paul's using hyperbole, it's important for us to recognize that this is an ongoing task, an ongoing mission of the church, to take the gospel to the nations, to spread through all the earth abroad the gospel of Jesus Christ. Remember Jesus' words in Mark 16, verse 15, and he said to them, go into all the world and proclaim the gospel to the whole creation. Or in Matthew 24, 14. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. Or in the Great Commission at the end of Matthew, chapter 28, verses 18 through 20. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Taking the gospel to the ends of the earth is still the mission of the church. It's an ongoing task that Christ has given us. And it's an unfinished task, isn't it? The job's not yet done. Frank Houghton, a missionary in the early 1900s with the China Inland Mission. It's the missions agency started by Hudson Taylor to reach the interior of China with the gospel. Frank Houghton wrote a hymn called Facing a Task Unfinished. You may know it. Listen to the words of the first verse and the chorus. Facing a task unfinished that drives us to our knees. A need that undiminished rebukes our slothful ease. We who rejoice to know thee renew before thy throne the solemn pledge we owe thee to go and make thee known. We go to all the world with kingdom hope unfurled. No other name has power to save but Jesus Christ the Lord. We still face this unfinished task of taking the gospel to all the world. And it should drive us to our knees to pray that God would send laborers into the harvest. And it should also rebuke our slothful ease wherever we find that in our hearts, in our lives. 
so that we can focus on the mission God has given us, not on worldly things, worldly pursuits, so that we can do all we can to promote the spread of the gospel to the ends of the earth. This is the reason why one of the criteria we're using to help us decide which missionaries we're going to support and go deeper with as a church is whether or not or to what extent they are reaching unreached people groups, people who don't have access to the gospel or who have very little access to the gospel. That's not the only criteria we're using to decide who we're going to support going forward, but it's an important one in light of the mission we've been given by Christ. We don't have unlimited resources as a church. We don't have unlimited time and energy and focus. And so we want to use what we have to do all we can to support missionaries who are reaching unreached people groups one way or another to one degree or another in their ministry. The mission Christ gave us hasn't yet been completed. We're still facing a task unfinished. So let's do all we can together in the strength of Christ and for the glory of Christ to cause the voice of the gospel to go out to all the earth, to cause the words of the gospel to spread to the ends of the world. Well, that's point number one. Israel has heard. That's the point Paul makes in verse 18. Let's look at now our second point. Israel has not believed That's what Paul gets at in verses 19 through 21. And let's look more closely at those verses now together. What Paul does is he quotes three passages from the Old Testament to show that the unbelief of Israel, as well as the belief of many Gentiles, was predicted and prophesied by God through his prophets, in this case Moses and Isaiah. And we'll look at each of these three passages in turn. First in verse 19... Paul says, but I ask, did Israel not understand? That is, did they not understand? Did they not know that their unbelief and the Gentiles' belief was predicted and prophesied in the Old Testament? And the implied answer is yes, they did understand, or at least they should have understood. And then he quotes Moses in Deuteronomy 32, verse 21. First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. As Paul goes on to say in the next chapter, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles so as to make Israel jealous. Or as we read last Sunday evening in Acts 13, the next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. Again, Paul says here in our verse, First, Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. John Murray explains the meaning of the quotation, particularly as interpreted and applied by the apostle, is that Israel would be provoked to jealousy and anger because another nation 
which had not enjoyed God's covenant favor as Israel had, would become the recipient of the favor which Israel had despised. We know what this is like in our own experience. Kids, you may have experienced something like this before, where, say, you've been given a new toy for Christmas, and you're thankful for that toy, and you play with it for a while, and you enjoy it for a while, but then you kind of get tired of it. Maybe you take it for granted, and you no longer feel thankful for it. And perhaps you let it gather dust in your closet or in the garage. But then, maybe a friend comes over and she starts playing with it. And she's enjoying it. She's having a great time with that toy. What did you feel in that moment? If you've experienced something like that? Well, you might have felt jealous all of a sudden. You may have even felt angry. Because your friend is now having fun playing with the toy that you used to play with. The toy you took for granted is now the toy they are enjoying. It makes you feel jealous and angry. Jealousy and anger well up from within your heart. Kids, maybe you've experienced something like that before. That's sort of like what the Jews were experiencing. They had all these covenant privileges. They had all these covenant blessings. And yet they grew tired of them. They neglected them. They gathered dust in their garage But now what God is doing is he's causing the gospel to spread to the Gentiles. And many Gentiles are coming to embrace the God of the covenant by faith and are enjoying those same covenant privileges and blessings. And it's making Israel jealous and angry. And Paul's saying that God predicted and prophesied that that would happen. And actually, as he goes on to say in chapter 11, God used that And is still using that today to draw the remnant of ethnic Israelites savingly to himself. We'll get to that in chapter 11, but let me just read verses 13 and 14. Inasmuch then as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry in order somehow to make my fellow Jews jealous and thus save some of them. And I think the takeaway for us here as believers today at least one takeaway is to make sure that we're not taking our covenant privileges for granted to make sure we're not growing tired of them and letting them gather dust in our hearts we have the word of the living God which is more precious than thousands of gold and silver pieces we are members of of a local church where we are known and loved and fed and protected. We get to worship together every Sunday morning and Sunday evening. We get to pray together at prayer meeting in the middle of the week and at other gatherings. We have been justified before God, the judge of all the earth. We've been adopted as sons and daughters of our Heavenly Father. We're being sanctified by the power of the Spirit through all the means of grace. And we're going to be glorified one day with resurrected bodies and renewed souls on a new earth. We have union and communion with the triune God in whose presence is fullness of joy and so many more privileges. Let's not take those privileges for granted. Let's not neglect them or let them gather dust. 
Rather, let's be thankful for them and use them regularly and embrace them wholeheartedly and enjoy them fully. The second passage Paul quotes from the Old Testament is Isaiah chapter 65, verse 1. Look at our verse 20. Then Isaiah is so bold as to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Paul's applying this verse to the Gentiles. The Gentiles did not seek God or ask for God, and yet God has shown himself to them, and they have found him through the gospel. Kind of like Paul said back at the end of chapter 9, verses 30 through 32, what shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? That is a righteousness that is by faith. But that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness did not succeed in reaching that law. Why? Because they did not pursue it by faith, but as if it were based on works. They have stumbled over the stumbling stone. So Israel pursued righteousness, but did not attain it. While the Gentiles, who didn't pursue righteousness, attained it by faith. They were not seeking God. They were not asking for God. But God showed himself to them. And they found him by faith in his son. And this is yet another reminder here in the book of Romans that salvation is by grace and not works. That salvation is by God's initiative and doing, not ours. We weren't seeking God when he saved us. We were seeking sin. We weren't asking for God. We were asking for pleasure and worldliness and all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, however that manifested itself in your own life. As Paul says in Titus 3, for we ourselves were once foolish disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration, and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that being justified by his grace, we might become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. We didn't find God. God found us. We didn't seek God. God sought us. What made the difference between you and the next guy, the next girl, It's not that you sought God, but he or she didn't. It's not that you asked for God, but he or she didn't. No, what made the difference ultimately between you and the next person is that God, in his sovereign mercy, not owing anything to either of you except for his wrath and judgment for all eternity, showed himself to you and opened your eyes so you could see so that you could find him by faith. Romans three ten through 12 says in no uncertain terms, none 
is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. So how did we get from the bucket labeled not righteous, not understanding, not seeking God, to the bucket labeled righteous, understanding, seeking God, only by the grace of God, by the sovereign work of the Spirit of God in our hearts, pulling us out of one bucket and putting us in the other, delivering us from the domain of darkness and transferring us to the kingdom of his beloved Son. So these words here in Romans 10 are true of every one of us who are in Christ. God says regarding every one of us, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask for me. Third, and finally, the third passage Paul quotes is actually the next verse in Isaiah 65. It's verse 2 or our verse 21. But of Israel, he says, all day long I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. God describes Israel as a disobedient and contrary people, an obstinate and defiant and recalcitrant people. As Jesus said in Matthew 23, 37, O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to it, how often would I have gathered your children together as a hen gathers her brood under her wings and you were not willing. It's not that they didn't know any better. They did know, but they didn't believe. They were invited, but they didn't come. They were given the medicine, but they didn't take it. As one author put it, not ignorance, but unwillingness was the cause of Israel's lack of faith. And yet, God held out his hands to them still. He held out his hands all day long to them. He held out his hands all day long to a disobedient and contrary people. That's how patient God is. That's how full of mercy God is. That's how ready God is to receive sinners who turn from their sin and repentance and turn to him in faith. God's hands are still held out today. His arms have not grown tired or weary like ours would. Rather, as one author put it, the everlasting arms are spread open in unwearied love. So have you come to him for your salvation? If you haven't come to him yet, come to him this morning. You need salvation. He offers salvation. And there is salvation in no one else. He offers you the perfect 
righteousness of his son. He holds out to you the full atonement of his son. He extends to you salvation and eternal life through his son. You don't need to work your way to him because he has already done the work. You don't need to make yourself pure before you come to him because only he can make you pure. He holds out his hands to you this morning and if you turn around from running away from him and turn to him and come to him, he will receive you with open arms and you will find salvation and eternal life. You've heard the gospel. Now believe the gospel. You've been given the medicine. Now take it. Don't be so close and yet so far away. Come to Christ in repentance and faith and be saved. And if you've already taken the medicine, take the medicine to the world. Let's pray together. God, we pray for anyone here this morning who hasn't yet come to you that you would enable them to come. Turning from sin, trusting in Christ for salvation. And for us who have come to you, who've already taken the medicine of the gospel, empower us to take the medicine to the world. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Let's take a minute to think and pray about what we've heard and then we'll sing together.